I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author, New York City dermatologist and empowerment leader, and author of Let's Get It, Hustle and Grind Your Way to Personal Empowerment, Dr. Adash Vijay Mudgill. From needles and injections to coaching and lectures, Dr. Mudgill has gone from making people feel good on the inside outside to feeling good on the inside. He's learned that personal empowerment is the key to success and fulfill- fulfillment. Called a game changer by NFL Hall of Famer Marshall Falk, Dr. Mudgill's new book details what worked for him and what can work for others. His popular pimple-popping TikTok and mindfulness Instagram support and influence people of all ages across the world on their journeys. He's been featured in Oprah Magazine, Allure, Bustle, Men's Health, and more. Welcome to the show, Dr. Mudgill. Well, thank you so much for having me. That's quite quite an introduction there. (laughs) That's your introduction. That's what you've done. That's what you're accomplishing, (laughs) I should say, right? So I guess the first question is, doctor, how are you going to do it for us? How are you going to do it for me? Um, Helping me to make it a game changer. How do you do that? Well, that's a great question. And, um, you know, something I actually get asked pretty frequently. And, you know, really what's worked for me is, and I, I say this all the time, embracing the hustling grind. And by that, what I mean is it's very hard to visualize a long-term goal and achieve it. And the reason why, the reason why that is, is it can be so far off. Like I want to lose 10 pounds or, you know, w- w- whatever the goal may be, but really, you know, celebrating the daily wins, the one thing you did today that gets you one step closer to your goal. That's what you really, or all of us really need to relish in because, it's the accumulation of those daily wins that lead to long-term success. And, you know, just sort of pounding away day after day after day after day. And once you ultimately hit whatever your goal may be, so say, you know, I, I frequently use like, you know, lose 10 pounds as the goal or some kind of fitness goal. Once you achieve that goal, you're like, it's so empowering to have achieved it that you're like, wow, you know, it, it makes you realize the potential within you. And then the next step is to set a bigger and better goal for yourself. And it just becomes this self-perpetuating process. And, and that's what I mean when I say hustle and grind your way to personal empowerment, because it's so incredibly empowering when your own personal hustle and grind allows you to arrive at a goal that you set for yourself. There's nothing that's more empowering than that. Okay. So when we're talking about personal empowerment, let's talk about you, because that's what it, your book is all about, how you are able to do just what you were talking about, how you were able to achieve that. You do one thing leads to the next thing and, you know, your choices get better and better, I guess. Uh, so how did, can we start with, talk about you in, in terms of like the book and how you did this? Because you start, uh, you know, you talk about medical school and undergraduate school and where you came from. And it, it almost sounds like in reading your book, you were a Really smart guy, but intelligent quotient-wise, you talk about that in the book, but maybe your emotional quotient wasn't quite up to par, so you had to kind of get to that point to achieve everything you've achieved? Yeah, I mean, I think think for me personally, I was always very intellectually capable, um, and I was actually also also very emotionally capable. I was actually pretty tuned into myself at a very early age. The problem with me was, I was really lazy and I basically coasted on my skill set. So for me, I, I was just blessed with a, a, a really good memory. And, you know, I, I used that really to coast my way all the way through 
until I got to medical school. And, um, you know, I was at the, you know, the top of my class in college. I didn't get into the college that I wanted to because I was so lazy in high school that I never achieved my potential. But I always just thought that's kind of the way you do it. You know, you basically do the minimal amount required to get to whatever your goal is. And that's kind of what I had done until I was like 22 or 23. And then a friend of mine from college, actually, this was like a really big, uh, you know, uh, revelation for me. He came to visit me in my first year of medical school. And, you know, he was a real top student in college as well. But he was the exact opposite mindset. He did everything he could possibly do to secure a good grade. I did the minimal amount I could possibly do to secure a good grade. Uh, but we both, you know, we had the same level of success. And, you know, when he came to visit me, interest when I was in medical school, all of the other kids in my medical school class, it was a small class, a class of 100, were from colleges that I got rejected from. So, you know, Harvard, Yale, and all the you know, elite Ivy League institutions, which, you know, which I had to get into because I wasn't really a great student in high school. Um, and I thought that, I personally thought, well, you know what, I kind of made it this far. This is kind of like what I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be kind of just average in this pool of these, what I considered really elite students. And my buddy said, you know, he came to visit me and he said, you know, uh, he asked me how I was doing in medical school. And I told him, I'm kind of like, you know, in the middle of the class, you know, and I was, I was pretty content with that, to be honest with you. This was after my first year of med school. And he said to me, and this is, you know, coming from a friend who actually, you know, someone that I really admired and respected, he, he's. He said the words, why don't you just try? I don't know. For some reason, it may have just been, you know, where I was mentally at the time. It really just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I I really started to become like very introspective. And I was like, wait, this is so, my buddies like thinks I'm, you know, really just not doing what I should be doing, what I'm not capable of. And sometimes when it comes from your peers, you know, it means a lot more than when it comes from like your parents say, or, you know, some other figure in your life. Do you, I want to interrupt you because I want to, do you think it's yeah. more, more people are like that, that they just kind of get by and like you, okay, so you're born sort of with oh, an, an innate intelligence, so you can, you can just get by and they just get by at, that people who are like your friend who have to kind of work at it do better. I mean, is it, what do you, because. A thousand, list- one thousand percent. And you can literally translate this into any other you know, aspect of life. Like, so take for instance, take for instance, like Michael Jordan, right? Like, you know, the greatest basketball player of all time. He was so great because he was an elite player. He made it to the NBA. He was in a sea of elite. He was in a sea of elite players, but he also worked much harder than everybody else. He was the first guy in the gym and the last guy to leave. Kobe Bryant, same thing. LeBron James, same thing. Serena Williams, same thing. Tiger Woods, same thing. Anyone who's amazing and like, you know, a real groundbreaking figure. And this is really all aspects. I'm using these, you know, well-known figures because we all can relate to them. We all know who they are, but you know, they weren't just, they were born with a gift, but it's how they worked incredibly hard at the gift they were given. My friend, Sammy, you know, the guy who was talking to me in medical school, just as smart, you know, he's probably smarter than I am, but he also worked a lot harder. And that's what I learned. I learned that, and this is all of us. There's so much potential that exists within every single one of us. I'm amazed now at the potential that I'm finding myself at the age of 45. You know, the, 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 the deeper you dig, the more you see. And like, you know, when you hustle and grind your goals and, you know, you set little goals for yourself and you accomplish these things, you re- it becomes like, you know, wow, like, you know, what else am I capable of? You know, and, and, that, and this is within every single one of us. That's the reason why I wrote this book, because it just makes life so much more fulfilling when you, when you lead a goal-oriented life. 
Okay, you lead a goal-oriented life, but okay, we've talked about your intelligence, your emotional quotient, but you also have a personality. I mean, that comes through on the radio. Also, I've seen you on, uh, you know, I've watched some of your interviews as well. Do you have to have that? I mean, you've got this zest for life. You've got this kind of joie, de, not kind of, this joie de vivre, like, wow, I did this and I can go on to next. But not everybody has that. I mean, many people have, the, you know, they're in a constant state of, depression or, you know, is feeling less than, and they don't have that kind of, there's sort of a personal aura that you have that just is, I don't know, is that something that you've achieved over the years or you were like that as a kid? No, of course, I was, I was, you know, a, a skinny kid that wore glasses since kindergarten, um, wore seven-year-old hand-me-down clothing, was constantly picked on, uh, you know, got beat up at the bus stop. You know, it was (laughs) certainly this confidence is, and, you know, is something that you achieve by attacking goals and, and achieving them, you know, and, and I think it's over time, it's, it, it just, it's, it's so empowering both, uh, you know, on a per- emotionally, on an emotional level, on a personal level, and also just on you know, a professional level, there's, it all becomes synergistic. Like when you're, like I said, when you're attacking your goals, getting your one win every day, no matter what. So there's nothing more empowering than, you know, being hung over on a Saturday morning because you went out and maybe overdid it on a Friday night, but still getting up at 5 a.m. to get your workout in. And, you know, these little tiny wins that you get, you, know, you force yourself to do these things. It's not easy not easy to do these things to like get your daily win every day. But when you do it, you, you, you realize how strong we are and how much potential is within each of us. If we just kind of grind away and force ourselves to sometimes do things so that we don't necessarily want to do, that's what makes you feel fulfilled. And, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. You know, when you're feeling that you're, you know, what you're doing every day is giving you personal fulfillment. And you're, you know, like, like I said, just getting that one win a day that gets you to whatever your goal is. And this is going to be multiple facets of life, you know, in your relationship, in your professional life, in your fitness, in your nutrition, whatever it is, being a better friend, being just a, you know, uh, a better neighbor. It, it can be anything. But doing one thing a day that gets you one step closer, whatever that goal is, that's when you what talk it's all about. about being a better neighbor or being a better friend. Uh, do you always do you need to connect? You have to connect to somebody. You talked about your friend who who said to you, you know, you're not living up to what you actually could do. Why don't you try harder? I know your mother was a doctor. She, I don't want to say pushed you. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's the right word, but you had that kind of a support. So, do we all need mentoring along the way? Do we all need those kinds of connections to be with people who are able that you're able to connect to and you're able to take advice from or listen to or be able to hear when. I mean, it seems to that's me a, that's yeah, a, another great. Yeah. Go ahead. That's, that's another really great question. Yeah, and the answer is yes. Um, you know, there's that old phrase: you never want to be the smartest person in the room, or you, or you, or you are the five people you surround yourself with. I think there's so much value in that. You know, you want to be around people. I'm not saying you necessarily need to be hanging out with these people, but the folks that you need to be listening to are folks that you admire, who you want to be like, who have done things that you want to do. You know, if you're hanging around with folks and letting folks get in your ear that are, that are uh, sort of antithetical to what your goals may be, you're never going to be able to achieve your goals. You know, so if you're, if you're hanging out with folks who are eating McDonald's every day and that's, you know, what their diet is, but you want to eat chicken breast and broccoli because you want to make a positive change in your life and, you know, have better nutrition and get healthy, 
you're going to get some pushback from the folks you're hanging out with. Whereas if you're hanging out with a bunch of folks who are super healthy and leading a healthy lifestyle, it's just a reverse. Like, you know, they're like, Hey, what, you know, maybe you shouldn't eat McDonald's. Maybe you should try some of this stuff, which is going to help you get to your goal. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. And, you know, I have a, a very broad social uh, network, but there are only a handful of people that I actually actually listen to that who's, you know, and those are the folks that I admire. So we're talking, you talk about core values, you talk about core values in your book. Are these people who have the same core values as you? And what are your core values? Yeah, this this is actually something that I think is a very important exercise. And I think anyone can, should do, everyone should do this. And I did this at the age, I think of like 43 or 44, um, after reading a book called Traction. And, you know, all of us exist in the world and we all abide by a certain set of values. And I was too, before I defined, you know, I was kind of, you know, leading my life. Things were important to me, but I never actually sat down and concretely said, these are the three or four pillars of my life. And the reason why it's important to do that, and I'm going to get into what mine are, but once you establish what your pillars of your, of your life are, it's much easier to achieve goals and to troubleshoot problems. So for instance, you know, my core values are care and compassion, integrity, accountability, and attention to detail. Those are the four things that are really important to me in every aspect of my life. Care and compassion, you know, I'm a doctor, you know, when I'm dealing with patients or even just dealing with friends and family, you know, everyone should be treated like with the same level of respect and love that you would, you know, a loved one or, or a best friend. Integrity, there's nothing that's more important than, you know, being honest in your interaction. Attention to detail. All the greats that I mentioned, you know, Tiger Woods, Serena Williams, you know, John Mayer, Bruno Mars, in all aspects of life, these are folks that achieved whatever their level of, of success is because they were super attentive to details. You know, it's the little things that matter. It's kind of like get your daily win that leads to your big goal. It's the little things, the little fine things that you do in your life that enable you to do that. And the last one is accountability. You know, we're not robots. We're all human. Everyone makes mistakes. That's part of the process. We all fail. That's part of the process. And that's a very important part of the process because if you're not failing, it means that you're not pushing yourself beyond your comfort zone. But accountability means when things go wrong, when there's a problem in your life or when there's a failure or something goes wrong, you have, the, you have enough self-awareness to look within and say, hey, you know what? This problem happened because maybe I wasn't attentive to this detail or because I did this thing wrong. And then you implement a specific personal fix so that the same problems, the same issues the same mistakes don't keep happening over and over again. Because when they do, when you're kind of going around the hamster wheel and, you know, things aren't really progressing, generally it's a lack of accountability that's, that's kind of leaving you in a rut. Well, so how do all these core values fit into what the core value of our culture right now? This is a great, I mean, a segue into that. It seems to me that as a culture here in the United States, we've been doing just the opposite of of compassion, integrity, attention to detail, and particularly accountability. So how does the individual, how are we going to achieve that within, well, in this pandemic, for instance, that's, but also politically, yeah. Yeah, well, it's, uh, I mean, listen, I, I'm, I'm, I'm no political guru, and I, I, <laughs> oh, I don't know. that's okay. I know, I, know as, I know as a community, a community is a collection of individuals, and if each individual is maximizing their personal potential and abiding by these guidelines, and I'm not saying these are the core values for everybody. Everyone has to define what their own core values are. I mean, I think these are great core values. Um, but, you know, it's really if everyone is doing the right thing and trying to maximize what they're doing and be the best person that they can, as individuals, as a society, as a, as a, co- a collective group of individuals, that's when you 
achieve the greatest things. That's when, as a society, you become a great society. And, you know, there's been a lot of bad that's been happening in the world, of course, you know, especially 2020 and continuing into 2021. Uh, you know, this health crisis has been an utter nightmare on so many levels. You know, it's devastated small businesses. Um, I, I have no idea how the stock market is doing so well when individuals are standing online to get food. You know, there seems to be like a big divide between the haves and, and have-nots, and, you know, it really is getting magnified in a time like this, you know, where, where this, when those sorts of things do get magnified. And, you know, I don't, I don't have all the answers, but I know that as individuals, we can all do the very best we can to be the best people we can be. And, and that's really by, you know, really kind of digging in and maximizing the amazing potential. That's what that's within each of us. Yeah. So you're at Mount Sinai. I, I, right. I think it's a, it's a physician. Yeah. And so in the context of what we're talking about, how has that been? I mean, as a physician having to, struggle through this past year in the pandemic? How have all these, these are your core values, how have they helped you to maximize your potential and help other people? And again, in the, um, you know, w- with the pandemic and, and COVID-19. Yes, yeah, so, you know, I'm, I'm a private practice doc. I, I teach at Mount Sinai and I'm, and I'm on staff there. Uh, so that's my sort of mothership hospital institution. Um, so, you know, I teach residents there once a month, for medical students. Um, and that's the hospital that, you know, that's where I trained and ended my residency. But, um, you know, I'll tell you, you know, the pandemic, it was, uh, it's, you know, it's a tough time for all small businesses. And when you run a small office like mine, you know, private independent clinic, it's, you, know, you have the struggles that any small business has, you know, you, you have to make payroll every two weeks and you have to, you know, this, you know, you have to pay your lease and your rent and, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. Those things don't change. And they don't change during a pandemic. You know, those responsibilities are still there. The responsibilities that I have to my staff and, and most importantly, as a doctor, the responsibility I have towards my patients. So I'll tell you a great story. And, you know, I think this really speaks to just developing culture in general, which I think is so important in any, in any aspect of life, you know, but really in a small business, you know, the culture really dictates you know, the, the, the atmosphere. And, you know, the very first week in New York City, this was in March when the city shut down, uh, it was a Friday and I went in to see some emergency patients. So the city had shut down and I, and I went in to see some patients that were on my schedule. You know, we had kind of trimmed down our schedule. We were just losing emergencies. Obviously I'm a dermatologist. We, I do a lot of cosmetic stuff. We didn't do anything like that, you know, during the pandemic. The very first week I saw two women who were nine months pregnant, both of whom had abscesses and, and had my clinic not been open, both of them would have ended up in an urgent care center or an emergency room, which were just at that time filled filled with COVID patients. And, you know, I, I thought to myself, um, I was like, you know, this is what being a doctor is all about. Like, you know, doctors run towards a pandemic, not away from one. And I talked to my staff and I basically told them that next week, I said, it makes me emotional actually when I talk about this. <laughs> I talked to my staff and I said, uh, guys, like, things are changing. You know, I can't afford to pay you what I've been paying you. Um, because obviously we're not seeing the patients that we're, the volume of patients that we're seeing. But I told the story of these two patients that I saw, and I said, uh, you know, we're staying open. Like, I'm staying open. You, any one of you guys, if you guys quit, um, you'll be able to collect more on unemployment, you know, just with a, you know, with a federal subsidy and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but, you know, my plan is to stay open. And every single one of my staff members stayed. 
and this deal with me during the pandemic. Sorry. Yeah, I get a little emotional when I talk about it. You should but, because uh, that says everything you know. about you. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it was amazing. And everyone's stayed and everyone's back full time now. And, uh, you know, that's, that's care and compassion. That's integrity. That's accountability. That's all of these core values that my practice is built on. And, uh, you know, it was amazing to see that sort of transcend my own personal value system and my staff is kind of like rallying behind it. You know, it was really incredible. So and that's, you have that's, three, you that's have practice. sort of silver lining. That is a silver lining. I mean, that's a great story. That says everything about, obviously, you, your connections, your feelings about your staff and their feelings about you, which is great. Because, you know, sometimes I think, doctor, you know, dermatology gets a bad rap. Dermatology, we think of, well, it's just, you know, fixing boobs and nose jobs and those kinds of things. And that's not what mm-hmm. it's all about. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm actually a pathologist also. So, you know, skin cancer is a big part of what I do. Um, you know, we deal with patients who have, like, you know, really life-changing thing, and it's like psoriasis, which can affect a very, you know, affects you in so many ways. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, of course, I still do, I do cosmetic stuff, and that's a big part of what I do as well, but, yeah, we take care of rashes, we take care of skin cancers, I see babies, I see, you know, all, all ages, you know, and, and, you know, skin problems are real problems, just like, you know, any other organ system. Why did you decide, or how did you decide to go into the practice of dermatology? That's a, good, that's a good question. Uh, so when I started medical school, uh, it's like taboo to say now, and understandably so, but you know, growing up, we all watched the Cosby show. And, yep. uh, you know, Dr. Huxtable was sort of this figure, you know, he was a, he was a, he was a ob- obstetrician. And I went into medical school. For some reason, I don't know, I just, maybe it was from growing up watching that show. I, I just, it, it just sort of glamorized the field. And I really went, I went into medical school. I wanted to be an obstetrician. And, you know, coming from a family of doctors, uh, it, it's a, being an obstetrician is a very challenging lifestyle. You know, it's, you're in the hospital all the time and, you know, it, it's, it's a hard, God, I mean, God bless every obstetrician out there. It's a really, really hard job. And, and my, my, my mom, who's an internist, and my brother who's an ophthalmologist, said, hey, you know, that's great. You should do whatever you want to do, but maybe you should consider a field where it's like a little more conducive to having a family and, you know, just other sort of, you know, aspects of life. And, and that kind of like was stuck in the back of my head. I never, I didn't really decide on dermatology or any other field, but you know, I was still kind of going through the motions trying to figure out what I wanted to do. But during my, between my second and third year of medical school, I took a year off to do research. It just happened to be in skin cancer. And, uh, that was it. You know, I was basically kind of sold on dermatology. I actually have a funny story about that. <laughs> when I was doing my surgical rotation. So I was at that point in medical school, I'd really turned things around and, it was like a light bulb went off. I was like, you know, really studying hard for every test and really putting my maximum amount in. And it was like night and day. I was like at the top, 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 top of the class, you know, like it was, but it was because it was like fun for me, you know, like I was studying and I was crushing these exams and doing all my rotations. And on my, on my surgical rotation, at the end of every rotation, you take an exam, you know, you take a national exam and it basically tells you where you stand as a medical student in the country. And on this particular exam, I got like the highest, grade like in years at like 99.9 percentile and you go to get your grade from the secretary of the department of surgery so i went to the secretary and you know get my grade she looks down she looks at the computer she looks back up at me and she's like you know you got like such and such grade which is like a really high grade she's like oh she was you know kind of singing my praises and then she said to me she said what field what field are you going to go into you know thinking i was going to say like surgery or something like that you know and i said well i'm applying for dermatology she just looked down shook her head and said what a waste. 
<laughs> Boy, was she wrong. Yeah, I, I, I was going to kick out of that. <laughs> I like that story. Yeah. Okay, so what about your family? I mean, I'm listening to all, you know, just all the stuff that you've accomplished, obviously. Now, what would your wife and your kids say about you? I mean, do they have to live up? What kind of expectations do they have to live up to? I, I mean, I don't know how, how many how many kids do you have? I have three kids. Uh, I've got my wife and three kids. My oldest okay. is 13, uh, who's a dog, my daughter, and then I have two boys who are 11 and 9. Um, you know, I mean, all, all I, for them, it's, and really just for anybody, I don't hold anyone to like my particular standard. It's just all about pursuing your passion 100%. That's all I really care about. So, so my kids know I'm not into like, you know, sort of half assing anything. You, you, you're, you're either in or you're out, you know, so. And because I learned the hard way, you know, like kind of putzing around for 20-something years, that it's really unfulfilling just kind of going through the motions. It's so much more fun when you're invested in something and you're really putting your max effort into it. So, you know, like, it's funny because these little things that I say, like I just hear my kids saying or my wife will say it to my kids, like, you know, like my, one of my favorite things is hard work beats, beats talent 100% of the time. And, it, you know, it's true, you know. And, you know, I... I just, you know, little things like that. So, you know, I think that they're mindful and, you know, they know, like, the, what I'm about. But it's not like they have, like, an incredible amount of pressure or anything on them. I'm actually a pretty easygoing guy. I'm an easygoing dad. You're neat. Okay, well, because I'm thinking about these, well, your kids, they're still young, but uh, there's a lot to live up to, I guess. So, but you, you, you've got the message for them, not, you know, um, Easy going, you would describe yourself as easy going. That's interesting. Because just listening to you, you, I mean, you don't sound easy going. <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm hard, I'd say I'm hardest on myself. Um, but I'm, And I do have expectations of others, but they're, they're very realistic. I mean, my expectations of others are, you, you know, just kind of live a life where there's no safety net. You know, like no one's going to clean up after you. You know, there's you have to be accountable, you know, like you, the action, like for instance, like for my employees, just do a good job, you know, make sure your eyes are dotted and your T's are crossed, you know, just, you can't count on your other employees, like, you know, your other colleagues to clean up after your mess. You know, everyone has to be responsible for what they're responsible for and do the best job that they can, you know, and I, but I think that's important for anyone to do in all aspects of life. Be the yeah, best friend I agree. that you can, and, uh, be the best husband the- that you can. And the title of your book, and we only have a couple minutes left, so that's why I'm interrupting, but I want to mention the title again. Let's get it. Let's get it. Hustle and grind your way to personal empowerment. Uh, really liked your book because the, the book is very personal. It's all about you. I like it. It's really an easy read. Lots of good stuff in it. So uh, website and or websites we can go to to more information about the book and about what you do or what you're doing. You're always doing yeah. something exciting, it seems to me. Well, first, thank you for actually reading the book. I mean, you're, I think yeah. you're the first interviewer that actually read, read the book, which I love, and that's amazing. So that's, a te- that's a testament to you and your show uh, well, and your platform. Um, um, so I, I can be found at drmudgill.com is my general website that has a lot of my social media stuff, my podcast, um, and some of my, you know, my other social media exploits. It also has a link to my dermatology site, which is mudgilldermatology.com. Uh, I post daily to Instagram. My tag there is at dr underscore mudgill. Um, and that's a lot of my mind, mindset motivational content. Uh, I post a TikTok daily as well, which is more of like pimple popping stuff. 
I also have a YouTube channel, which is the, doc, the Dr. Modell. You should just kind of Google, go to YouTube and search for Dr. Modell. That'll be on there. Um, I think that's pretty much everything. The Dr. Modell podcast is on iTunes and anywhere you'll get your podcast. And the book is available anywhere you buy books. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, etc. Terrific. Thanks. Thanks, Doctor, for being on the show today. It was really great talking to you. Lots of good information. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure for me. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. (laughs) 